Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, yeah, schedule's a little bit cockeyed. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, everybody. I probably should have given a little bit more warning, but honestly, I didn't know how today was going to go because it's Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. To all of you that are trying to figure out how to work your way through this week with multiple children now stuck at home for a few days, I share whatever feeling I should share. Pity? It's probably pity. A pity that. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Thanks you, uh, thank you for joining us at this slightly later time uh, on Monday morning. I know most of the time when the kids are in school, we get these things going by about uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time, but they are off. My older kid had his seven-year checkup at the doctor. They all got their flu shots and everything while we were down there. So then we got to get the nanny over. Then we got to get the kids off to a park and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, show's now. So here we go. You can find me over on social at Dan Bespris. I would kindly request that you do that because that's where we do a lot of our work in between the podcasts. Again, that's at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S or just Google search Dan from HoopBall uh, or Dan from Sports Ethos, Twitter, X, whatever, and it should pop up. It shouldn't be all that tough to do so. We're going to be checking the waiver wire today for everybody that popped up over the weekend. We're going to go over all 30 teams' most recent ball games in a reverse chronological lightning round fashion, just the way we always do on our Monday shows. We'll do a quick preview of the eight games coming up tonight, Monday evening. That should be uh, relatively straightforward and easy. So, without further ado, now that I assume you've gone and you've found me over on social and you've hit like or subscribe or whatever it is that you need to do on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or what iTunes or whatever you're using to listen to this show, now we can talk a little bit of fantasy sports. The way this works is we'll go through every game that happened over the weekend in reverse chronological order. Uh, by day, not by the actual hour of the game, so we're not going to start Sunday night. We'll just do Sunday, then Saturday, and then if anybody didn't play over the weekend, we'll cover their last game on Friday, and that'll reset us for the week ahead. We are not going to go in order of priority in terms of, like, a player that you need to add, so sit back, pay attention. I'll try to highlight those key players when we get to them, but we're going to go through every team. Sunday. Philly beat Brooklyn 121-99. to This ball game was over relatively early, although Tyrese Maxey still managed to get 36 minutes in it. DeAnthony Melton is rolling now after his awful start to the year. But again, this is what we were talking about. He wasn't going to shoot 28% for the entire season. Now he's trucking. Uh, Nick Batum came back for this one after missing three ball games, And, he, you know, he was part of a, a lineup that trounced Brooklyn. But he didn't do very much. That's the certainly the much larger downside. The fact that Kelly Oubre is not expected to miss a whole ton of time meant that Batum became less of a priority before... Certainly having a game where he does almost nothing makes him less of a priority here as well. I do still think that Batum can hold 9-cat Roto-style value while Kelly Oubre's out, but you don't have to play him until we actually see it happen one more time, just so we know he's kind of got his legs back underneath him again. Uh, So he's more of a watch list play just for the moment. After I thought he was going to be better than that, and then miss three games for personal reasons and blah, blah, blah. 
Over on the Brooklyn side, the one thing we were keeping an eye on, because everything else was pretty straightforward, not Lonnie Walker. I know he popped off and scored 26 points in 32 minutes, but he's not a guy that's going to see this type of playing time, so you can pretty much ignore that. Spencer Dinwiddie was the guy that I wanted to pay attention to to see if his role could get elevated far enough with Ben Simmons out for an indefinite period of time. My guess is that the answer is going to be no. Dinwiddie has never really been a stud fantasy uh, asset because the steals and blocks are low. The percentages tend to be somewhat low with him. Uh, Not that free throw is usually bad the way it has been so far this year, but it's usually sort of a neutral. And then the field goal percent is low. And so basically you're looking, can he do enough in the points and assist department to make up for the fact that he's not going to help you very much in the others. And the answer with Simmons out has been almost. He's like a 130, 140, 150 kind of value over the last week. He had one really big game in there that's kind of uh, yanking the number up the board. Most of the time it's been kind of meh. And I'm inclined to assign him a grade of meh in terms of whether or not I think you need to actually play him on your fantasy team. Pistons are annoying. Uh, there was a moment earlier this year where I thought maybe they could be kind of interesting from a fantasy standpoint. You know, we we saw Cade, uh, tons of turnovers at the beginning of the year, but at least he was putting up pretty big popcorn numbers. And Alec Burks was putting up some numbers before he got hurt. And Jalen Duran was putting up first round value and then his ankle got sore. And Marcus Sasser had a few good games when everybody was hurt. But the Pistons have sort of gone back to being the Pistons. They started Kevin Knox in these last couple of ball games. That's been fun. Isaiah Stewart should have been decent enough to get value with Jalen Duran out, but even he hasn't been able to do it. Duran, by the way, is a game-time decision for tonight. Pistons, I think, have a two-game week, so they may just hold him out to give him a little extra rest. They're basically still, whether they want to be or not, in tank mode. Cade has... Not really moved up the board the way that folks would have hoped. Uh, Does that change the fact that he's a buy low? No, I mean, he's a buy low. Cade's a buy low, but I don't think he was ever going to get to where he was drafted. I was low on him because, you know, I don't like to go into a draft with a punt field goal attitude. He's become a punt field goal and massive punt turnover guy so far this year. And the defensive stats haven't been there so far, which... I do still think the defensive stats come around a little bit for Cade, but he needs help, and, like, sure, the return of Boyan Bogdanovich at some point in the next couple of weeks will help, but will it help enough? Osar Thompson is really cool. He's been fun to watch so far this year, but I also think he's going to start to run out of gas, and we may have begun to see that a little bit. Percentages were not going to be a, a thing for him, and so he was able to float his value with rebounds and crazy defensive stats. And some of that, like, you just can't keep that up all year when you're a rookie and you're trying to get your legs under you and you're fighting with these gigantic dudes for the first time. So he was always going to come down a little bit. And we need Duran back. Because at least at that point, you could have Duran and, and Thompson were a little bit, I guess, safer in terms of fantasy value. And then you've got Cade, depending on the build of your team. But that's kind of all it is right now for Detroit. Everything else is... Blech. Uh Gary Trent had a decent ball game, uh, despite OG and Anobi being back. Some of that is because this ball game got out of hand quickly. I'm still not buying on Trent. Uh, 
he he needs to be a three-pointers and steals guy, and I just don't see that there's enough room for him to get there. Scotty Barnes, 17-7-9. To no one's surprise, his defensive stats have started to come back to earth a little bit as well. He's now at three combined. I say only three combined. I know, still nuts. But that continued slow erosion in those is going to be something we don't really notice until it's sort of done happening. He's still going to have a really good year. I don't want this to sound like we're going to knock Scotty Barnes, but like he was never going to be a number six guy in fantasy because he was averaging four, four and a half defensive stats a game, and that just wasn't going to stick. He's not a giant blocks dude. That wasn't going to just magically switch. And that actually moves fantasy value pretty quickly because a block, a steal every ball game, that's, that's actually quite a lot of them when you think of it over the course of an entire year. So, Barnes, if, if you can still get somebody in the top 20, I think I would try to do it. To me, he probably tips outside of that at some point. Still seems like he's going to be a win this year, but not maybe a mid-first-round win, the way it looked after the first two and a half, three weeks. Hey, the good news train finally arrived on Jakob Pertl. He's had two or three good ball games in a row. He's now inside the top 80 in 9-cat. The free throw percent has cleared 50. Thank heavens. The defensive stats are starting to come around, and I don't think we need to worry about him anymore. Dennis Schroeder and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie are doing their best impressions of each other. Schroeder's still hanging in there inside the top 85, and maybe he can keep that up. I don't know. That doesn't, nothing really changes for me on him after this ballgame. Orlando smoked Indiana. This ballgame ended with a tighter score than the actual ballgame was. You saw uh, Indy come back a bit during some very late garbage time. Jordan Nawara... Uh, Isaiah Jackson, Ben Shepard, these guys were putting up numbers in the fourth quarter. But this game was over early, and you could see it by just looking at the minutes. Paolo Boncaro, 26 and change, was I think the biggest number of anybody on either team on a triple check. Yeah, that is indeed the case. So you can pretty much just dump, dump this box score right out the window. Move on to the next one. Do not make adjustments to your... Pacers or Magic valuations based on this ballgame. It was over by midway through the third quarter. Denver, they are human. I guess it makes sense that Denver would would maybe have a little bit of a tougher time against like one of the bigger teams they're going to play. Not that anybody really needs to be worried about the Nuggets. They'll be fine. They're uh, now in third place, though, behind the Timberwolves and the Thunder. Thunder have won five games in a row. Uh, Nuggets have lost two games in a row. Is there a possibility that the sort of Jamal Murray absence and championship hangover, maybe that's kind of kicking in now as we, I don't want to call it the dog days here. We're still in November. We're just getting into the holidays. So this is still an area where I think you'll see teams can kind of get up a little bit more. Uh, but we're no longer at that adrenaline of the first week, two weeks, whatever it is. And so you're kind of seeing teams settle. And someone on Twitter reminded me that... Uh, Last year, I called this the great leveling. This is when the great leveling starts to happen. It's when guys that got off to a super hot start tend to cool off. Guys that got off to a cold start tend to warm back up. And you just see everything in the league uh, sort of squirm its way back towards the mean. some Or near it. Some sort of mean reversion. And you'll see that with teams in addition to players. So the great leveling is now basically upon us. We're at week five. It usually happens by the end of the sixth week of the season that you kind of know, okay, this is what a guy's going to be. And 
you started to see it with the buy lows, the sell highs, all that kind of stuff. You're, it, it's it's coming back to where we knew it was going to be. And the window to acquire or sell off assets that got off to very hot or slow starts is going to now dry up in the next week to two weeks. This is this is really when it happens. So you got to make your move now if you're going to make your move. As far as this ball game goes, uh, Michael Porter Jr. was kind of the only nugget that survived the mess. Nikola Jokic had his uh, one of his rougher games of the year. Cleveland side, you got a big one out of nowhere. Craig Porter Jr., not to be confused with, with Otto or Michael. A lot of Porter Juniors in the NBA these days. He had a big ball game, but you can pretty much ignore that. Uh, no Karis LeVert, no Donovan Mitchell, and the, the Cavs won anyway crazy stuff. Jared Allen is still, I think they're still holding him under 30 minutes, although I don't know that that would have mattered a ton in this ballgame. And he remains kind of a soft buy low. He's sitting just outside the top 100 right now. And some of that's just simply because you know, he hasn't been on the floor enough to get the extra two points and two rebounds or whatever needs to happen to slowly move him up the tables. And at that point he'll settle kind of back in where he always is. Evan Mobley, always good, uh, and then even better when anybody's missing. Darius Garland had one of, finally, I guess, had a better ball game, and I guess it took Donovan Mitchell being out to get him there. Garland still averaging almost five turnovers a ball game. He'll be fine. He was probably never going to get to the mid-30s where he was drafted on a per-game basis. A nine-cat, obviously his nine-cat and eight-cat value is really different with the five turnovers a game right now. Uh, but... You know, he's a point guard who, sh- who scores and assists, and so that's always a pretty rare commodity. And if you can get him for, like, a 75-range guy, that would be a price I think maybe you, you might want to consider throwing out there. Uh, and then, I don't know, do I need to continue to even mention Max Struess? This was, by all accounts, a slightly quieter game for him, and he's still number 55, and now we're, what, 13, 14 games into the season? Still somewhat of a small sample size, but consistently plays the top two or three most minutes on the team. The rebounding has been there, which no one thought was happening, and it's why he didn't really get drafted in that many spots. But as soon as we saw the minutes, that's why we jumped on him after that first or second game of the year, and I haven't looked back. Sacramento, they've been playing some good ball these days. Darren Fox is out of his mind right now. He hit three, or sorry, six three-pointers. He's the number eight player in fantasy hitting 3.63s per ball game while still shooting 51% from the field. He's at almost two steals per game. Uh, is it possible that Fox took another step forward? It's possible. I don't know that I would call it probable, if only because he's shooting 42% from downtown this year, and he's career 32%. That's a massive jump, especially when you consider the fact that, in addition to everything else, he's taking four more shots per game this year than he did last season, and three and change more than any year previously in his NBA career. And he's taking three and a half more threes per game. And he's always been a pretty good steals guy, but he's been more like a one and a half as opposed to two, which I guess is possible. Like, it could just sort of fluctuate up. So there's... I would say a number of things with Fox that I would expect, especially from a fantasy standpoint, to start to to taper a tad. But while he's this hot, he's probably going to keep shooting this much. 
And you're like, oh, Dan, his field goal percent is down from last year. Yeah, uh, but his three-pointers are up from 1.6 to 3.6. That feels like a number that probably won't stick. By the way, no Kevin Herter for this ball game. Maybe the other footnote there is Chris Duarte having 13-8-4 with a couple of steals and three threes. Filling in for Herter, I am not making a move on this. For one, I think Herter's going to be back pretty quickly. And for two, we know, we know enough about Chris Duarte that typically, unless he actually has a pretty large role, it's hard for him to put up fantasy stats. And somebody was yelling at me on Twitter about Malik Monk, like how I was leading everybody astray on Malik Monk. He's a magical De'Aaron Fox fill-in who has been extraordinarily... I don't want to say inconsistent, because he's been consistent in what he does when he's on the floor. His minutes have been extraordinarily inconsistent when De'Aaron Fox is there. It's like Monk only played 18 minutes in this ballgame, despite having 12 points and four three-pointers in them. He was actually putting up numbers, but the minutes are so erratic that it's hard to really lock it in and say, oh yeah, this is like, you got to do it. Uh, the screen you're seeing, if you're watching on YouTube, shows this game as a blowout. It, it didn't really get out of hand until pretty late. That's why you saw, you know, Sabonis still played 35 minutes. He basically got his normal allotment. And then just a couple of guys didn't come back in for, like, the last three or four. That was really the difference here, where Luka still got 32 instead of 35, something like that. So the blowout didn't dramatically change the minute distribution. It got out of hand uh, much later in the ball game. Which, for then, you're like, okay, well, like, why didn't Malik Monk get a couple extra minutes? Why not let him play 23 instead of 18? Honest to God, I have no idea. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. But this is why it's hard for me to say he's a play every ball game. He is more valuable in head-to-head -head than he is in Roto because he's been good at threes and assists so far this year. But uh, And free throws, a little bit of free throws as well. Uh, but he's been very bad in field goal. His turnovers have been kind of high, not, not atrocious. The uh, steals number is kind of low. The blocks are high, but probably not going to stay there. And then he doesn't rebound, and the scoring actually isn't as high as it kind of feels like it's been. He scored more when Fox was out. So you've got this, and this is when I talk about, like, a guy that's maybe more valuable in head-to-head -head than Roto. It's often when a guy has two or three strong categories, but also two or three very weak ones. And in head-to-head, -head, you're like, okay, well, if I'm not 
super competitive in the weak ones, then I don't have to worry about it. Not in a punt fashion necessarily, but just like it doesn't hurt my team as much as with Roto, if you're trotting Monk out there every ball game right now in a typical 12-teamer with an 82-game cap, he's been outside the must-start window. I don't know if that makes any sense, but hopefully it did. Derek Lively is a good story on the Dallas side. He's starting to, and I, I, I this is kind of what I thought when we talked about him last week, or it's like, this guy's going to get a tiny bit more consistent every two weeks or so. So you want to see those minutes per game. They tick up from 24, and then like a month later, he's at 25, and a month later, he's at 26. It's going to be a slow growth curve as he learns more about the NBA and all the stuff that you have to do to be consistently successful. But he's been good enough so far that you have to hold on for the ride. And I wasn't sure about that two weeks ago because his minutes were all over the map. But now they're starting to get a little more secure, and that's kind of good enough for me. So Derek Lively, uh, he's a hold. Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, the cooldown, I got to believe, is coming here. He only had two three-pointers in this ball game. He wasn't like cold, cold, but his value is floated by three-pointers. It's kind of all he does. And as those tick down from four per game, which never felt like a number that was sustainable then he falls sort of outside the must-play zone and into the stream-if-you-need-threes and some scoring zone. But he's not the only guy in that zone, so that means you don't really have to sit on him all the time. Phoenix and Utah played a little extra basketball, and wowzers, we got some fantasy lines to uh, kind of lick our lips over here. Kevin Durant, Mondo game. He's now up to number nine in nine category leagues, and he's played all 13 games for his team so far as I knock on every piece of wood within sight. Uh, his very slow free throw shooting start to the year is now a distant memory after he goes seven for seven in this ball game. I mean, at some point, Bradley Beal is going to show up, and that'll probably ding Durant. It's definitely going to ding Booker. Eric Gordon had a big ball game, but I'm throwing that in the trash. I don't. I I, I want nothing to do with Eric Gordon. He and Grayson Allen are uh, schedule plays with Bradley Beal out, but not Roto. So if, if the Suns run into, and I don't have their their streaming calendar in front of me while I'm doing this particular show, but if the Suns run into a very good scheduling spot and a couple of games against the high octane Jazz was probably that, but, you know, three games and four nights kind of thing. That's where you pull out the Gordon and the Grayson Allen card. But on a day-to-day, nah. It's Durant, it's Nurk, it's Booker on that team right now. And uh, and that's about it. It's really weird to see Devin Booker. Now, Booker's only played in five ball games, so obviously there's sort of a sample size thing going on here. It's very weird to think that the numbers he's put up so far are not good enough for first-round per-game value. The top of the board is a pinball machine right now. It's crazy. Booker's at 29 points, 10 assists, and 5.5 and rebounds on 51% shooting from the field and 94% at the free throw line. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think any of that stuff holds for the entire season, uh, especially if Beal ever does decide to play. Um, I, it's the fact that Booker doesn't have any defensive stats so far, but, I mean, the stuff that you have to do to get inside the top 10 right now is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous the numbers these guys are putting up. Not the point of today's show, I guess. So let's keep trugging along. Uh, Larry Markin. I'm talking about these giant ball games. Larry Markin, 38 and 17, two steals, two blocks on a very good field goal percent. He's number 11 right now. 
No drop-off for him, and a lot of that's been uh, because Keontae George has changed the Jazz. He's fixed them. Not that he's been outstanding himself, but he's fixed them. Guys are in their right roles. Keontae George had 11 assists in this ballgame. He could not shoot to save his poor little life. Two for 12 from the field, five turnovers. He's another guy that probably ends up profiling as better in head-to-head -head than Roto because, again, you know, rookie ball handler. Even if I think some of the ball handling stuff that doesn't usually apply to rookies or does usually apply may not to George in that, that was weird phrasing, I know. I don't think he's going to be beset by the same issues that normal rookie ball handlers do because he's not he's not trying to run the team. He's just orchestrating and distributing, but you're still seeing a lot of it anyway. Like, even though the assists are very high for George, you are seeing the bad field goal percent. You're seeing the high turnovers. You're seeing the fact that even though over the last week he's playing 30 minutes and averaging 12 points and 8 assists with a steal... He's ranked outside the top 150 because he's shooting 34% from the field, and he has three and a half turnovers per ball game, and he hasn't blocked a shot in that stretch, and his threes are at one in change, and he's only scoring 12 points. Roto, that's a tough sell. Head-to-head, -head, it's like, look, I don't give a crap. Like, maybe I'm punting field goal anyway, or maybe I have a massive game's advantage or disadvantage, so this week, turnovers don't matter to my team. So if you're just focusing on the assists, the rebounds, the steals, like the free throw percent, then cool. But if you need all nine, that becomes a hard play. Still, I do think he he belongs on rosters, I think, in all formats. And Roto, you're probably just squatting on him to see how he grows. Head-to-head, -head, you play him out and see what happens. Otherwise, yes, you saw one big game from Taylor Horton Tucker. You can throw that away. Doesn't matter. Jordan Clarkson had 22-7-5, but he did it on horrible percentages, and so it's kind of the same old story for Clarkson. If you can sell on Clarkson, you do it. That's a pretty easy decision to make. Let's keep going. Boston, uh, five more three-pointers for Sam Hauser, who, look, at some point he's going to cool off. There's no question he's shooting something like 60% from downtown over the last couple weeks. And so he's averaging, what, three, four threes a game on 53% from the field. It's just a combo you can't get from someone over an entire year. And so because of the rarity of that combination, he is actually a nine-cap play right now. But you know it, at some point, this stuff just levels off. Hauser's a good shooter, but he's not going to be the best shooter in the universe, uh, you know, by a factor of like 20% over Steph Curry. That's just not going to last forever. So get it while the getting's good, but then understand at some point it'll it'll flip back the other way uh we already know by the way and we'll talk about this later on but Derek white al horford are out for the celtics second half of their back-to-back -back. they can come up with whatever reasoning they want to on that what does it mean um i mean you probably see hauser move into the starting lineup for white horford was coming off the bench behind porzingis anyway so that's sort of a non-factor the biggest news, perhaps, of the entire show, he screams to make sure that folks haven't started to tune him out over the slow plod we've got through the weekend. Santi Aldama, starting small forward for the Memphis Grizzlies, put up 28 points, 12 boards, 6 assists, 2 steals, and 6 three-pointers on 27 shots. Whew. And I know this team isn't healthy. John Morant's going to come back. What are they, like, about halfway to the John Morant suspension being up? And Marcus Smart is out for a month, so at some point he'll be back also. 
And Luke Kennard is out. I think he got hit in the head, but I don't remember. Doesn't really matter for this. Either way, Aldama was already, I think we talked about him on Friday's tweet storm. When the hell was Memphis's last ball game? Was that against the Lakers? Let me make sure I got their, their calendar right. So Memphis played, uh, no, they were in San Antonio the previous night, actually. But it was after the Laker game that Aldama came in and took 15 shots in 25 minutes off the bench. And I, I did my tweet storm on Friday night, and I'm pretty sure I said he's a guy that you need to be paying very close attention to because if Memphis decides to give him any minutes, he actually does have a very translatable fantasy stat set. We saw before when he picked up a bunch of center minutes to start last year, or power forward minutes, when JJJ was out. Well, they're giving him a look now in a big way, and it's ca- he's cashing in. He put up 17-10-3 with a steal block and a three-pointer against uh, San Antonio in a win the previous ball game, And frankly, they, I think, just like what he does when he's on the floor. He's versatile. He can step out and hit the three, as you saw with six of them. He was bombing away from downtown. To me, he's a must-add player until someone comes back from Memphis, and then we'll see what happens after that. But basically, they've said, look, we can go, we can run... Uh, JJJ at the center spot, which they did more of in this ballgame. Uh, Xavier Tillman being out also helps Aldama because that forces them to go smaller. They didn't want to run a ton of Bismarck Biombo, and he picked up 5,015 minutes anyway. But you don't need 39 minutes out of Aldama. You need mid to high 20s. That's how quick his fantasy stats can rack up. Must add player, must start player right now while we see what shakes out in Memphis. OKC blew out Portland. This game was over early. Uh, Chet Holmgren had himself a little perfecto on the night. Six of six shooting from the field. Two of two at the free throw line. No turnovers. He's number 14, I believe, in nine count right now. I still think if you could sell Chet for a second rounder, you do it. Because you got to believe that at some point this sort of rookie fatigue stuff creeps in. Uh, he's also shooting 57% from the field and 91% at the free throw line. These things that will probably come down a little bit as well. So, uh, but again, like, if you're not going to get a locked-in top 20 kind of guy, then you don't have to do it. I just think there is an opportunity there. For Portland, I don't really care. Nothing in this game changes everything for me. They got blown out early. Aiton will be fine. Skylar Mays is your streaming guy. Shaden Sharp, people seem to think, is having this, like, incredible start to the year, but he's number 180 in 9-cat. High turnovers, low field goal percent, uh, really w- kind of sagging things for him, and then being just slightly sub-average in like three or four other categories. The scoring has been good. The rebounds have been kind of okay, uh, but that's kind of been it. Like we, There's been this goo-goo-gaga thing going on for Shaden Sharp, and I, I like him, but he's playing 37 minutes a night. He literally cannot do any more for that team and he's not even close to a roto play. Just try to understand that these things do factor. Houston and L.A., I... um, So I've been very critical of Alper and Shengun in the past, but he deserves a ton of credit, by the way. And I probably should have done this a week ago, but I really wanted to sit down and watch him play a full game start to finish, especially against, like, a legit defensive star-level center. I know Anthony Davis comes and goes. Sometimes he disappears. Sometimes he reappears, things like that. Um, But AD's a damn good basketball player. And he fouled out, dealing largely with Shengun and what the Rockets do on offense. Alperin's defense has gotten better. 
That was the big fear coming into the season was that if his defense didn't improve, Houston would just run somebody else at center. But he's improved. His position defense has gotten a lot better. He's no longer chasing steals and blocks. Everything the Rockets are doing is based on kind of being in the right place at the right time. Freddie Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks have gone a long way towards instilling that type of culture. And Shengun is bought in. And so that's keeping him on the floor. Offensively, there was never really any question about what he could do. But his defense, just from a mental standpoint, has gotten so much better to cover up the fact that athletically on defense, he does still struggle to sort of like stop guys that are going at him at a full speed. But that doesn't matter right now because he's doing enough positionally that keeps him on the floor. Uh, and so I feel like a lot of his numbers so far this year are pretty sustainable because he's doing the stuff on the defensive side. The one thing to note with Shengun is that he hasn't gotten the defensive stats this year, and I don't know that they will get better because I, I think the Rockets approve of the like, okay, don't try to block everybody. Don't be on an island. We're not going to leave you alone under the basket to try to block everybody that comes your way. Don't foul. Stay on the floor. We're going to run offense through you. And so as great as the popcorn numbers have been, and they have been, 20 points, 8 boards, 6 assists, that's, that's you know, Demonis Sabonis light, big man stuff, not nearly as many rebounds, uh, the defensive stats are probably going to be a little bit stuck in the mud. So you have this kind of Sabonis build, but Demonis is a, a vastly superior rebounder, maybe the best in the entire NBA, Otherwise, their stats are almost a carbon copy for each other. Sabonis, one more assist, about 0.3 blocks more per game, but their field goal and free throw percent are almost a dead heat. Same with turnovers. So Shangun is like your did-you-not-get-Sabonis-in-the-second-round kind of guy, but because the rebounds are going to be a bit lower and also because it's pot I mean, we still haven't seen this go for an entire season. I, I mean, again, I don't see any reason why it should completely vanish, but... Uh, I don't know that the defensive stats get all the way back where they were prior years when he was a, a poor man floating on an island and just on skates chasing everybody. Uh, Freddie Van Fleet put up 16 assists, which might ruin any buy low there, although I do still think he goes up a little from where he's at because I think you see a few games. Some At some point in here, he's going to have a game where he gets like five steals. But again... There is that kind of positional defense thing the Rockets are doing, uh, so it's not going to be wild, flailing Nick Nurse steals numbers. But he's playing massive starters minutes, Van Vliet is, and everything else is basically where it was last year, and so all we need now is you know another .8 steals per ball game, which two games where he gets four steals in both of them pretty much takes care of that. Uh, is that reason to go by low? I mean, yeah, if you want to get like an eight steal bounce, sure, that's something. Dylan Brooks had hit for his first big game in about two weeks. Um, he had fallen off after a very hot start. He's now at number one hundred after this huge one, but he's he's not going to stay inside the top one hundred. Tari Eason is out for rest on the back-to-back -back for Houston. Uh, he's not getting enough minutes for it to matter right now anyway, so I think we can probably move along from that. I made the mistake of assuming LeBron James was going to age. Apparently, he does not. LeBron James is a cyborg. He had 37-6-8 with three steals, two three-pointers, and just absolutely teabagged the Rockets throughout this ballgame. He was fired up to play against Dylan Brooks. You could see that. But also, he and Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves, sorry, Austin, were the only Lakers that could make a shot, and you could tell LeBron knew it. 
So especially when Anthony Davis fouled out, that was like, okay, it's time. And LeBron all game long just kept rescuing his team because Torian Prince went one for 11. He couldn't hit a three-pointer. D'Lo finally had a, a softer ball game. He had been very good for the Lakers uh, so far this year, but this one dropped his shooting percentage down a little bit. Um, Rui was only kind of okay. Uh, but the Lakers hit six three-pointers. I think they went something like six for 30 from downtown in this game. Austin Reeves hit about a 30-footer. It was a big shot late in the contest, too. But LeBron's been nuts. Uh... I, I, I can't possibly begin to understand how he's doing it. He's shooting 59% from the field so far this year, a number that is, frankly, likely to come down. He's also at two and a half defensive stats per game, a number that is also likely to come down. So as much as I've been Im very impressed with what LeBron's doing, he hasn't really been hurt yet, uh, tweaked a, whatever it was, a calf or a shin or something, but he came back quickly. Uh... He's been questionable for a lot of these ballgames, but he seems fine once the game starts. His usage is indeed way lower this year, and that, to me, is the number we really got to be paying attention to. His usage is down. He's only at 17 shots this year after 22 last season. Eventually, that will drag his numbers down because he's not going to shoot 59% from the field all year. The steals and blocks are not going to likely stay this high when he's not playing center like he did a couple seasons back. So then the scoring will probably come down a tad because I don't think he wants to have to do this much stuff. Can you sell high on LeBron? Probably, because he's freaking LeBron. What would you aim for? Any second rounder I'd be down with. Let's head back to Saturday. Sunday was kind of the bigger one over the weekend. Uh, oh, you know what? I forgot to put this stuff on the screen. Sorry, YouTubers. That sucks for you guys. Oopsies. Um, let's go back to Saturday. I... I, I this is a, a silly, silly oversight. But whatever. For one day, the YouTubers, you guys got basically the podcast experience. Just looking at me yelling about numbers. Whoopsies. You guys are probably telling me that you couldn't see it either. And I never looked at the chat room because I was too busy just yelling about stuff. Womp womp. Uh, hey, take a moment to find me over on social. Again, that's at Dan Vespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And please do like and subscribe. It's so fast. Just hit the subscribe button. It's so easy to do. I don't know why you guys even hem and haw about it. Just go take care of that bad boy. By the way, a warning. I don't know that we're going to have time for questions today. So, um, sorry. Although this is a good one. Cody says, finally catching you during a live. I'm usually a pod listener. I recommend letting your pod listeners know what time you stream live. Love the show. Cody, great, great point. Problem is, it's not the same every day. When the kids are in school, it's usually around 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, but it does bounce a little around a little bit based on other stuff going on in, in my personal life, uh, usually family-related. Like today, for instance, it took the kids had doctor's appointments in the morning, and then I had to get the nanny off to the park. And so everything was just a little bit more complicated, and so the show's like, you know, hour and a half, two hours later. Not exactly what I wanted to do. Anyway, let's keep going. Please like and subscribe. Last point there. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo filling in right now for Quentin Grimes. He was okay in the first try. He was very good in the second try on Saturday. He ain't going to shoot 8 for 12 and hit 7 three-pointers every ball game. If you want to head-to-head stream him, if Grimes is out, I think I'm okay with that. I don't think I would use a games cap on him because we really just don't know if he can be consistent. Josh Hart in 29 bench minutes, but we still don't really know what his role is. 
Why? Yes, R.J. Barrett was back, but he only played 26 minutes. And again, Grimes was out. So extra sm shooting guard, small forward minutes were just there available. The more I watch this, the more I think Josh Hart, if the Knicks ever get fully healthy, probably won't play 29, 30 minutes a ball game. But right now, we just haven't seen it. So he remains a hold to me. Hart does. Emmanuel quickly reminds me an awful lot of Malik Monk. Uh, not necessarily that their stats are the same, uh, but that they both sit in that same region where the minutes are not secure. The scoring is going to be probably pretty good. Quickly does more at the free throw line. Monk does more with assists. They're both good at like two things, but also very bad at two or three others. Head-to-head -head plays, they are totally fine. Roto, they are not quite there unless the right player is out. For the Knicks, it's either Randall or Brunson. You take a usage player out and quickly gets a big bump. For the Kings, it's Darren Fox. But when those guys are all in, it's a hard die to roll. Charlotte, uh, to no one's surprise, Miles Bridges has been a strong contributor so far. We kind of knew he was going to be a good fantasy asset, but I made my call at the beginning of the year that I was going to try to win without him. If he's on your team, that's fine. Play him. He looks good. Uh, Gordon Hayward doesn't these days. He's fallen off a cliff. I don't think it's all Miles Bridges, though, because it's not like Miles is taking his ball, like play initiating, which is a lot of what Gordon did. A lot of it in my eyes is the fact that LaMelo Ball is finally shooting the ball better. And his field goal percent is up to 43 now. So he's not like completely ruining your team with field goal percent. He's still very bad there on 20 shots a ball game. But this is what's moved LaMelo up to 30 in nine cat despite the four turnovers a game. And he is much closer. He's like an early second rounder if you're punting turnovers and, and field goal percent. So this is why teams took him uh, in late in the first round. They were going to build around his positives and around sort of avoiding his negatives. But the fact that LaMelo is now playing better and taking all these extra shots and, and sort of confidently running everything means that Gordon Hayward hasn't needed to do that as much. I'm still holding on to Hayward. You also got a big game out of Brandon Miller today, who I, I you know, one big ball game to me doesn't mean that he suddenly needs to be started every day. He's number 180 in nine cat, even after this big ball game. So, I mean, what was his rank before it? Outside the top 200. Does this mean that he's going to just magically go on a crazy run? He might get hot for a couple of games. I don't think Brandon Miller is more than a schedule play. Um, I feel the same way about P.J. Washington, actually. He's more of a schedule type of play also, just because there are some holes in his 9-cat game, and a lot of them were very evident in this ball game. but it's, that's been the way it's been throughout the year. Hayward can have the better nine-category stuff than these other guys we just talked about. But if he's going to fall off a cliff, then we'll move on. Still, I think, you know, we saw it for almost a month. I think we got to give him at least a week, week and a half to make sure that this is either permanent or not. I have no thoughts on the Timberwolves. They're a very predictable team. Um, I know Mike Conley had a quieter ball game, but I don't care. And for the Pelicans... I was going to come on today and celebrate Dyson Daniels being this incredible stream, but we got word this morning that Jose Alvarado is coming back, and so that could actually ruin the Dyson Daniels experience. I'm interested to see what the Pels do. My guess would be that Alvarado gets eased back in over a couple of weeks, 
But every minute he takes from Daniels is a minute that makes that stream a little bit harder for me to continue to, to sort of hammer as one of my favorites. I think you can probably still play Dyson, at least for the first couple of games, after Alvarado returns, but we may want to feel this one out a little bit. Jonas Valanciunas, another big blocks game. I don't know where these are coming from. You probably want to sell while you can. You know he's always going to put up numbers when Zion's out, and Zion was out. Herb Jones is still rolling. Also, probably a sell high. Jordan Hawkins, uh, I'll say the same thing I said last time. His fantasy value is way too tied up in whether or not he's hitting his three-pointers. He's more of a head-to-head -head play, not a roto play for me. Uh, but hey, there's a possibility that Alvarado becomes a roto play if he just takes the Dyson Daniels minutes. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't. Is it possible? It's absolutely possible. Miami. Literally nothing to talk about. Kyle Lowry, I cannot bring myself to trust in this fill-in role. Jaime Aquez, uh, also was someone that I was like, close, but not quite for me. Duncan Robinson is a hard go. Uh, so you got your main three. Adebayo, Butler, obviously, and then Robinson filling in for Hero. Easy call. Chicago came storming back in this one behind. I don't even really know because they won it with 102 points. DeMar DeRozan couldn't hit a free throw, but he scored 23. Zach Levine did a better job of distributing. Uh, Vooch, 15-8, and eight, kind of a quieter ball game. And then Alex Caruso has been starting lately. And to no one's surprise, the Bulls have looked slightly more competent when he's done so. Caruso is a much more fun roto play than head-to-head, -head, but I think he's a go basically in all formats right now while he's starting and playing bigger minutes. We talked about the Mavericks already. We haven't talked about the Bucks. Brooke Lopez, who was slightly quieter in this ballgame, but has totally zipped his way up the board over the last week. He's now number 43, so that by-low window is shut. Bobby Portis, uh, quieter in this ballgame, but he's been kind of a double-double type of guy since Jay Crowder went down. He's a go. Pat Connaughton played better. He's been, to me, I wouldn't trust him in a 12-teamer schedule play. I guess you could try to wedge him in there if it was a good enough schedule. Uh, more like 14, 16-team kind of stuff, but he's at least on the map now. We talked Memphis already. The Spurs is a team that I just cannot bring myself to care about. Uh, I know Victor Wembanyama is insane. I like looking at his numbers, but the rest of this team is a total crapshoot when it comes to whether they'll be efficient in any way. Poor Trey Jones is barely getting to play these days. He's probably a drop all the way down to a number 170. I think you can drop Trey Jones because I think he'll probably, like, if you jump on him, if Sohan misses time, he'd be the, he'd zip in there as point guard. I still feel like the Spurs are kind of tanking on purpose, but maybe I'm wrong. Zach Collins is a go. Uh, Wembenyama's a go. When Vassell is healthy, he's a go. Sohan is not efficient enough for me to play nightly. Keldon Johnson is someone you're probably playing because so far this year he's been just efficient enough to stay inside the top 100. But also every time he has a big ball game like this, you try to sell for anyone inside the top 90. Thunder. I guess the only note on the Thunder I didn't mention in their other ball game was that Jalen Williams, uh, who did hurt himself with a hip strain, is probably now even a bigger buy low because um, the Steels haven't come around yet. For the Warriors, Steph came back sooner than expected. They lost this game in overtime because another team forgot to foul up three. I still don't know why teams don't do this. But Andrew Wiggins woke up. 31 points for Wiggins. He didn't grab a single rebound in the whole damn ball game, but at least he scored and he hit his shots. Do you play him? I don't know, maybe. But you certainly make sure he's on a roster if this is the wake-up call. Chris Paul always does more when Draymond Green is out, so enjoy these little streamer days. 
We told you that when Steph came back, they would not need the scoring of Dario Saric as much, and that would be more Kevon Looney at center, and da-da-da-da, Looney, 6.16 boards. He's probably a stream now with Draymond out as well. And then Clay Thompson continues to be old, but he's a hold. He's an old hold. I don't see how you how you don't. Uh, let's quickly look back at Friday. Any teams there that we missed? I feel like everybody played over the weekend this time. Um, ba -ba -da -da -ba -da -do 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 -do. Knicks, Wizards. Ugh. All right, we will talk about the Wizards. Were they the only team that didn't go over the weekend? No, the Clippers didn't go over the weekend either. Wizards, Clippers, Hawks? I think that's it. I, I, I can't talk about the Wizards. They're making me so mad. Denny Avdia is an obvious hold. Tyus Jones is a hold. Daniel Gafford's a hold. Kuzma's a sell anytime he has a good game. Jordan Poole, uh, ugh. Oh, he said it, man. Leading up to the season, you knew the bottom could fall out on Jordan Poole. And it has. He'll be better than this at some point. I don't even want to buy low on him, though. I don't know that the, the upshot is worth it. If you buy low on Jordan Poole, do it, and then when he gets hot, try to sell again. It's a flip. Your house flipping. Oh, my God, the Wizards. What a mess. Bilal Kulabili played 31 minutes again. Um, as I mentioned, I don't think that his fantasy game is all the way there yet. He's more of like, maybe he could be really good in a year or two kind of thing. Or maybe later this year, if he gets to run the show and have the usage. But right now, I just this that's why I've been a little bit lower on him. Uh, what was a Hawks game? Hawks lost at home to Philly on Friday. Let's see if we can pull that up for the YouTubers. There we go. Um, no, you're not dropping on Yeko Kongo. I know he's up and down a little bit. As long as Clint Capella is healthy, he's going to be up and down. Bogdan Bogdanovich, you're going to keep going. Jalen Johnson, yes. Trey Young, yes. Uh, Sadiq Bey got hot here for a couple of days. He's more of a schedule play. And I think that's all you really got to say about the Hawks, right? And then the Clippers, um, they looked better in this one. James Harden had a game-winning four-point play. He had seven assists with Russell Westbrook coming off the bench. Harden assists will likely trend up. He probably moves more towards a top 30 valuation with the uh, new lineup. Kawhi Leonard looked much better in this one. He decided he was going to go do some stuff himself. And then Paul George really hasn't missed a beat. So it's possible that that was the end of the buy low. I feel like there's probably going to be a little bit more buy low available. Uh, and then Russell Westbrook is probably going to trend out of having fantasy value. Only played 17 minutes in this ball game. We'll see how long he's actually cool with that. I know he volunteered to come off the bench, but really, like, do we think Russ is going to be chill if he plays 17 minutes every game? I personally don't, but hey, I've been wrong before. Take a quick look at the games coming up here on Monday night before we wrap up the show. Again, I don't think we're doing questions today because it's running long and the show started late anyway. Uh, Nuggets, nothing. Pistons, Jalen Duran is a game-time decision. That's good news, so maybe we get him back. Those ankles are a little bit concerning, though. Mentioned it earlier in the pod. Uh, Derek White, Al Horford are out for the Celtics, so does that mean that uh, Sam Hauser gets an extra shot or two? I don't know, maybe. He's been playable anyway until he cools off. For the Hornets, uh, Gordon Hayward is the guy you're tracking. I still think we got to give him at least five games of bad before buying that it's permanent. He's had two bad ones. 
So that means another week, basically. Uh, for the Bucks, nothing really. I mean, I guess we could say Bobby Portis is watchable. Pat Connaughton sort of watchable, but not really. Wizards, it's everything. Try to watch the Wizards games if you can. I know it's it's hideous basketball product, but try. Knicks, it's Josh Hart. I guess if Grimes sits, you could watch Dante DiVincenzo too. I just I don't think I have the stones to play him. I don't know how many good I don't know how many good DiVincenzo games in a row I'd have to see before I'm like, yeah, go ahead, use a roto cap on him. Timberwolves, nothing. Clippers, same old stuff. You know the Harden thing. Spurs, nothing really. Kings, nothing really. Uh, Pelicans, Jose Alvarado, basically. What does he do to the Pelicans' rotations? Because I've been so in love with this Dyson Daniels stream, and I thought we had at least another week or two before someone might come back and ruin it. But it's possible it might be getting ruined over the next few days. We shall see. Uh, I'm sure some of you in Roto are going to be like, Dan, would you play Dyson Daniels here knowing Alvarado's back? I think I still would tonight, but... Depending on how many minutes Alvarado gets in this ball game, that might change my opinion for game two of him coming back. Yeah. Hit you with a Lumberg there. Yeah. Uh, the Heat, nothing really. We know Duncan Robinson is the go. Uh, Alex Caruso on the Bulls is a go. Rockets, I don't think there's really anything there. I got a lot of Jabari Smith Jr. questions, but it's not something that I've really changed my stance on, which is he has the possibility of fantasy value, but I always like to draft guys where I feel more confident in what they are already doing. And I know that that keeps me from looking like the smartest person in the room because I'm never going to be the guy that is out in front of somebody's big leap. Although I guess you could say that I was kind of out in front. Like... That doesn't mean that I'm not going to take a guy who's moving into more opportunity. Um, like, a, I'm trying to think of, you know, Shea last year. No, no, that's not an opportunity one. I'm trying to think of who on the old man squad was an opportunity jump this year. I know Chet was the young guy. Well, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll take a guy who's moving into more opportunity. I typically don't take a guy whose opportunity is either shrinking or staying the same, but I need him to just magically improve his fantasy game. And so that was why I didn't end up... I don't have Jabari Smith Jr. on any of my nine basketball fantasy basketball teams this year. None. Not one. But if I did, I'd probably just have to wait it out. I don't really see another path with that. I mean, you could drop him, but he's really only like a half a steal or a half a block or one and a half shots per game. Uh, or his free throw percent improving to high 70s instead of low like. He's not that far away from fantasy value. I just don't think it happens quickly or even at all. But you'd feel silly if you dropped him and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, Jabari Smith Jr. is taking two more shots per game and his steals and blocks went up from 1.1 combined to two and his free throw percentage went up to 75. Like, then you'd be kicking yourself. Still, honestly, if you dropped him, you probably wouldn't really care for a while. If he does figure things out, I don't think it's going to be super fast. And then we just, we literally just talked about the Warriors. Uh, no Draymond Green for a couple more ball games. So uh, is it time to play Andrew Wiggins and Roto? Uh, probably, no. I, uh, I probably need to see it again. What about Klay Thompson? Yeah, I'm probably throwing him in there. Because at least he's not going to hurt you in both percentages the way that Wiggins could. 
Uh, and then Ludi, who uh, I think I'd rather play head to head than Roto, but if you badly needed rebounds, that's the direction you could roll on that one. And that is your everybody's been resituated show. Um, no, uh, no questions today. I'm sorry. I know you guys put a lot of them in the chat room, and usually I do them, but it's already almost lunchtime here on the Pacific Coast, and we're running super duper late today. And when I say we, I mean I. And I can see my nanny is texting me, uh, hammer texting me, so I got to take that. Um, please, there's a lot of you guys watching right now. If just uh, some 20 to 30% of you take five seconds now to just pause, go over, hit the like button, and subscribe, whatever it is that you're listening on or watching on, that's a huge deal. I am at Dan Bespris over on social, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We got another show coming up in just a couple of hours also. I'll be talking to Derek Ball about the week ahead, get you guys situated for some streaming decisions here on week five. Again, Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. We'll see you guys over on the socials or right back here for our next show. So long for now, everybody.